Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. (laughs) How many know that um, programs will fail you? Uh, I've been convinced for most of my life and uh, for many, many years now that um, we have fallen into traps within the church. And we, uh, I was reading online with a guy the other day and got 102 programs in the church. And uh, you you can have all the programs you want, but if there's no presence of the Lord there, I I just will tell you programs, uh, programs won't save you and policies won't save you. The only thing that will save you is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, every once in a while I look around us and I think, yeah, we don't have the best programs and probably don't have the best policies and we probably don't have the best. But there's one thing I've always desired, particularly on Sunday mornings, and that's to be in the presence of God. uh, I, I just believe that his presence and I want to be wherever he's at, right? And the Bible says he inhabits, is enthroned, is seated, lives in his praise. Yeah. Have you ever been in a room that was filled with negativity? Yeah. Did, did you lean back? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm serious. You ever been around a, a, a table where people are talking, uh, maybe at lunch or something, and it just got negative? Did, didn't you just kind of lean? See, God won't live in criticism. He, won't, he will not inhabit your judgmentalism. He sits on a throne called mercy. So his throne, contrary to this judgment thing that's gone on, he sits on mercy. That's the only thing that can hold him up is mercy. He's too heavy for anything else. Uh, but he inhabits praises. He inhabits that affirmation. Don't, if someone begins to affirm you, don't you lean in? You've got to pay attention. You were asleep all ago, but if they start telling you how good you are, you kind of lean in a little bit. God inhabits the praises, the affirmations of his people. He lives in that atmosphere of praise. I love it when I begin to see teenagers emerging like this because that means we're pulling them out of that negativity. We're pulling them out of that. I like that. So I'm going to read a portion of scripture to you this morning, but I'm not going to preach about it. Found in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Verse 13, indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were as one, say as one, to make one sound, say one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking God. And we lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud And the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house. Wow! And that's the Old Testament. That when the people of God begin to praise and thank God and declare his goodness and his mercy, that God just leaned into him. And his presence was so thick that there was no ministry of the flesh. There was no human involvement. It was just the glory of God, the presence of God. And the Bible says that in his presence there is fullness of joy, that at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore, that in the presence of God there is gladness and joy. In the presence of God, enemies fall back. 
Wow. And this is the Old Testament that when they begin to sing, say sing. Look at your neighbor and say sing. Open your mouth and sing. I can't sing. I know God perfects the praises of people that cannot carry a note. Right? So thank God. All you got to do is give a little breath to it and he'll add a little something to it. When they begin to sing in one accord, when they begin to do that and declare he is good, all of a sudden there he is. I just want to be there. I want to live there. I want to, I want to walk there. I want to speak from there. It, it is the singular most important goal of my life. It is my goal for this place. It is last week, and please know every sermon for me is just built on the next sermon. I just put a hyphen in it and pick up where I left off. And last week I talked to you about how the Lord looked at Martha and said, Martha, you're distracted by many things, but Mary, your sister, has chosen the, most, the one thing most necessary. And uh, the one thing most necessary, Martha, is to be present is to be conscious, to be aware. Hey, have, you ever, have you ever been with somebody, but they weren't with you? I mean, you know, it's like if your wife ever looks at you and says, are you listening to me? You, you're in trouble. I, I, you, whatever you missed, you, you're out. Uh, uh, so last week I talked to you about the one thing that's needed is to be present to the presence. And this week I want to talk to you about how and where that presence is found. This is my beginning sermon series for the summer. The Lord has spoke to me about how we live in his presence, how we experience his presence, what that means. Uh, there's this place in Missouri that Annie and I go to. I've actually been going there since I was a little boy, about 1964. Uh, I was a babe. No, 1964. I love it. It's 1994, I took my children there. They were 12 and under. And I'm walking around this cabin and we're talking and I'm telling them all these things that my dad and I and sisters and brothers and mom had done. And, I'm, and I look around and they have abandoned me. I'm talking to the trees. And she's gone too. They're, and they're all in the car. And those, they didn't have, they had Walkman. You remember Walkman? You know, those cassette players. And you had Walkman and you had, back, we didn't have phones. We had Walkmans. And they're all sitting in a car listening to their Walkmans. And I come back and I'm crushed. And I said, what are you doing? I'm trying to share something with you. And my, my, my intelligent attorney would be son says, dad, we don't have any memory of this. I said, but it's my favorite place. It's my special place. It's my sacred place. I have such memories of life and love and energy and I made up my mind right there. Well, you will have. <laughs> and they do today. Uh, that favorite place, that, that safe place, that sacred space where heaven and earth come together, time stops and eternity begins and you can just palatably feel the presence, right? Anybody have one of those places? That, that, that place is just special to you. It might be grandma's house. It might be, I don't know. It, it might just be, it might be Allen Field House for some of you. I don't know. Some of you are going, who? Uh, but it, yeah, right? See, I got somebody. Uh, but that, that, that Celtics call it a thin place. 
that, that place where you can't really tell whether I'm here or I'm there, that place where heaven and earth kiss each other, that place where you remember. That place where when they all sang, heaven came. The prophet Amos in Amos chapter 9, verse 11, the prophet Amos says, One day, or on that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will repair its damages. And I will raise up its ruins, and I will rebuild it as in the days of old. The prophet Amos says, There's coming a day when God's going into a building program. There's coming a day when God says, I'm going to build something. And it's going to be the tabernacle of David. In Acts chapter 15, the writer of the book of Acts, right as the church is born, the writer of the book of Acts quotes that prophet and said, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I'll rebuild its ruins and I'll set it up again. Interesting to me how God has favorite places. Interesting to me that God would have these places where he would make himself known. And I realize he's omnipresent, but just those places where whew, there's no doubt that he's there. I, I want that. I want to be, I realize he's everywhere, but I want to be that place that kind of takes my breath away. That spot. And he said, I'm going to rebuild David's tabernacle. Years ago, Ann and I were at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. And there, there's that big, you've seen it on TV, right? That great big stone wall. And you can take these tours and they go down under and they're now that you're going through these caverns and that wall continues but it's never been excavated and we went down and we walked and, and then you had to get a little lower and you went into this room and I stepped into that room and I couldn't get my breath and Moshe was leading us and I stepped in this little room I couldn't get my breath and there's a bench right there and I backed up and I sat down on the wall and Moshe went what 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 I said I lost my breath He said, the rabbis come here to pray because this is as close as you can get to where the Ark of the Covenant is believed to have been. And they all say, when you get really, really close, it takes your breath away. If you get really, really, really close, it'll change you. It'll change the atmosphere. It will no longer be a program a denomination, a policy, a politic. You see, the real presence of God will change your life. Amen. And it's been my one desire, my entire pastoral career, to allow people to experience the real presence of God. Not somebody's idea, not something they had to earn, but just, I'm going to rebuild David's tabernacle, the prophet says, and the church declares, I would have wondered why he wouldn't want to rebuild Moses' tabernacle. I mean, Moses' tabernacle was built out of the finest of materials. You remember the story, right? Moses and had an outer court and an inner court and a most holy place. And, and, and had the labor bowl and the candlelights and had the Ark of the Covenant. And on the Ark of the Covenant set the mercy seat. And it says there's two cherub. And the two cherubim are leaning out over this. And these two wings would touch. And there on that mercy seat, the blue flame, the fire hot God would rest on there. And the children of Israel encamped around that tabernacle as they moved through the wilderness. And that's where God was present. And Solomon built that thing on top of that mount in Jerusalem. And everybody's fighting over that, right? 
because it was the great temple of Solomon and now we fight over that piece of ground. Everybody thinks God's going to rebuild that. And he said, no, I'm going to rebuild David's, not Moses. And I'm sorry, all you prophetic people think it's all about Solomon's simple, but the Bible says it's going to be David's, not Solomon's. And and David's tabernacle, David wanted to build a, a temple and God said, no, David's tabernacle was just a sheet, just a tarp. Go out here to Walmart and buy as many tarps you can buy, sew them together, and we just put this tarp over and stretch it out. There's no walls, there's no veils, there's no great furniture, there's no guards, and David's tabernacle was just kind of enough to keep the sun off of it, and then he went and he had the Ark of the Covenant, and there it was right in the middle, and anybody could walk in. Anybody. I mean, people you don't like, Gentiles, Samaritans, Cyphernicians, Cyphernicians. Try saying that five times real fast. But I mean, you know, those people that are sinners, there's no veil. There's nothing to stop. And let's think, I've stood in St. Patrick's, I've stood in Notre Dame, I've stood in, in St. Patrick's in New York. I've stood in some of the most beautiful edifices. And, and see, what, what impresses the Lord, what impresses men doesn't really impress the Lord. He's not really impressed by your building. He's not really impressed by your piety. He just really isn't. I'm going to rebuild David's. So, but it's not about the tarp. It's about the relationship that happened. God's favorite place is this place where somebody loved him and he loved them. It's this place of relationship, of connection. God said, I'm not, I'm not worried about Solomon's stones and I'm not really worried about that tabernacle, but, but there was this man that was after my heart. There was the shepherd boy that would sing to me in the middle of the night with the sheep. And David would write these amazing things about my soul pants for you. These one thing I desire, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the presence of the Lord and the house of God and that I might inquire of his beauty one day in your courts, Lord, is better than a thousand elsewhere. All the way through the book of Psalms, you see David crying out for God. I don't, cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, but create in me, O God, a clean heart. You can have the throne, you can have Bathsheba, but don't you go anywhere. You, You see this shepherd boy who God found in the pasture, this shepherd boy who would become a warrior and take down Goliath, This shepherd boy never lost focus on what he truly wanted. He wanted to be in a Bible study where they studied about, no. (laughs) Wanted to be in this cell group, no. God forbid. Wanted to be on Facebook and have lots of, no. He wanted to be in the raw presence of a God who would supersede the law and not have him stoned because he had. He wanted to be in the presence of the God who was good 
and merciful and true and kind and loving and unchanging and forgiving. I, I want to be there. And yes, I'll herd the sheep. And yes, I'll kill Goliath. And yes, we'll take the city of Jerusalem. But I got to be with you. I'm going to rebuild that place. It may be a pinto with a... <laughs> but I'm going to build that place. I'm going to recover that place. That passion, that purpose, that hunger. I'm going to recover that. I, I'm, I'm going to give that back. Because David not only put me there, but then he invited everybody. He invited people nobody else wanted. <laughs> right? I don't know who you're thinking of, but... <laughs> but I mean, you know, it isn't hard to figure out what people love because they never shut up. See, whatever we love, we talk about. Whatever we love, we always find ways to do it. Well, see, whatever you desire, that's what's on your tongue. Whatever you desire, it's in your thoughts. Whatever you desire, it, it, it's you focused on it. One thing I have desired, and that will I seek. David defeated the Philistines. He whipped them from one end of that country to the other end of that country. And, and they had stolen the Ark of the Covenant before he had kicked their behind. And they had the Ark of the Covenant. And, and when he won, they put that Ark in this guy named Obed-Edom. Say Obed-Edom. Wouldn't you like that name? Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom had the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat is where the presence of God, who cares about the Ark? It was the guy that sat on it that was important. I don't care about the furniture. It's the dude that sits in the chair that I'm after, right? It's, it's that, right? And, and, and so David says, I want to go to the next level. I have shepherded the sheep. I had killed Goliath, but I'm ready to go to another level in my life. How many of you ever wanted to go to another level spiritually in your life? Right? You just want to go to another level. You're not satisfied. I just continually desire. And so he said, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to get. And, and so he went down there and he took this ox drawn cart. Have you ever been? Have you ever been? I've been in England and Europe a few times. They have these big ox wheels, these big wheels and they have this cart and they have. And David took, took that ox drawn cart and they went down there and they, they took the Ark of the Covenant and they put it behind a couple of cows and they started to go the 14 miles from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem. And there was, a, he had this, he had this employee named Uzziah. And Uzziah was a good guy. He came to church, he, came, he, took, he took care of the palace, he was a good guy and David said, let's go get God and he went. And, and now we got God in a box on a cart and we're just pulling God this way. And how many of you know that there's an appropriate way to talk to your spouse? And there's an inappropriate way. 
And I pray to God you have figured that out. <laughs> and there, you know, there's an, an appropriate way when you meet someone of dignity. You don't just walk up to the president and go, how you doing, bub? No, no, you don't do that. And we've been in a few places in Europe where there was royal. Listen, I, I've walked in and seen Father Francis. You don't walk in and give him a high five and say, how you doing? You know, you know, not that he's better than you, but there's an appropriate way. I mean, America's really struggling over the appropriate way to walk up the steps of the Capitol. There's an appropriate way to go into my house, and there's an appropriate way to go to anybody's house. And the issue hasn't got anything to do with how you're feeling. It has to do with how, what's the appropriate way of bringing the presence of God? And poor Uzziah's just, he's just helping the donkeys, just tending the mules. But, but listen, you speak to my wife inappropriately, and she'll... I mean, and the box begin to shake. Most people don't know what to do with the presence of God because listen, he'll start to shake. He'll show up and he'll stay too long and he'll shout a little loud and he'll shake a little more than you want him to shake and you'll go back to the Baptist church. Oh, sorry. And God begin to... God began to object to being treated and mishandled with a casual spirit. It's too casual. I, I, I'm just saying this. I don't want you to take this the wrong way. But being able to come to church casually, I come pretty casually. Thank God I don't have to wear ties. Whew. I don't have to. I, I pray. But casual dress does not mean casual attitude. Right? There's still a proper way. Still a proper way to handle the presence of God. Still, I'm looking around to make sure I don't get shot. Uh, okay, I think I'm okay. I learned this from my 95-year-old mother-in-law who just went to heaven. If you're going to sit at my table, take that hat off. Now, I love every one of you. But you don't wear a, house, a hat in the house. You, and pull your pants up while you're at it. <laughs> right? I have a dear friend. He used to say, turn that hat around, pull your pants up, and get a job. I actually think that was a pretty good idea. <laughs> there, there's a way to handle the presence of God. And poor Uzziah, the box began to shake, and Uzziah reached out and touched that box. And the Bible says Uzziah died. You see, God will not be user, Uzziah, user, Uzziah, user, you get it? Friendly. He won't be user friendly. God will never accommodate your way of doing things. He has a specific way to do them. And have you ever tried to go to another level in your life spiritually? And you tried to move, a little, but, but it didn't work too well. I get tickled when people say, Pastor, I'm trying to pray, but, but the water pump went out. Every time I try, ever since I gave my heart to God, ever since I got saved, ever since I tried to come to church, now then only. They really are using that excuse to take the Ark of the Covenant, take it back to Obed Edom's house, shut the door, and leave God there. Because when you begin to move to another level in your life spiritually, you begin to bring the presence of God out of the closet and into the mainstream of your life, you don't get just to do that any old way you want to do it. 
you, you, have to, you have to kind of pay attention to the protocols of how do you handle the presence of God. And most people are amateurs at handling the presence of God. They can teach great sermons, sing great songs, three songs fast, three songs slow, 25 minutes of a sermon, bless you, go home, and we'll leave God down there because if he gets out, it's more about what he wants than you do. But David didn't stop. He had failed a few times at going to new levels in his life, but he didn't stop, and he went back and he consulted the scriptures. Wow. Consulted the scriptures and Levites, and they said, oh, there's a proper order for bringing the presence of God. To move the presence of God into one's own life, there's a proper way to do this. It's called the due order, the due process. And so David found out that, oh, God didn't want to be pulled behind a bunch of animals that left. He didn't want to be pulled through that. That the only way that God would be carried into our lives is on our own shoulders. That we have to participate in carrying the presence of God into our families, into our churches, into our communities. That God wants to use you and me. That God wants to be in a, and, and so he wants you to sanctify to consecrate, to set apart, to ordain. People that, that are focused on carrying the presence of God into the places of God. And so they sanctified these people, set them apart. They came out from, they were pure. They were, and they, they took the Ark of the Covenant and they put poles in it and they, and they put, put it on their shoulders and, Say with me, I can't hire a praise and worship team to sing to me. You, you do understand, we don't pay these people. They're you. We don't pay that because this is not about spectators. This is about participators. And this is your church, not Pastor Q's. Pastor Q will retire contrary to popular opinion. I will. Not soon, but someday because it's not mine. There will be another. You have to, say with me, I have to do, you have to open the doors, change the babies, you have to sing the songs, you have to, you, have to, you don't get to stand there and go, well, when the singing is over. No, 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 no. Because we're going to carry the presence of God on the shoulders of priests who are singing. Say singing. singing. Look at your neighbor again and say sing. Sing, sing, sing. sing. No. <laughs> I don't like your singing. Tough, it's his choice, not mine. He said sing, so sing. <laughs> well, I don't like what we sing. It's not for you. This is for him. Yeah, but I don't know it. Ta-da. <laughs> oh, they're slow, too slow at changing words. Welcome to the ministry. You can push the button instead of them. <laughs> You do it, you, you carry it, and you sing 14 miles, and they would kill a bull very specifically. They'd kill that bull, lay it open, they'd walk six paces, six. they'd kill another bull. Price of beef just went up, and another. You know how many bulls? That's a lot of bull. You can do without what you want. <laughs> That's a lot of blood. In other words, the presence of God will only come 
through blood, through the sacrifice of another. Listen, the Bible says in Psalm 24 that when they got to the gates of Jerusalem, David stripped off his clothing and began to dance. If you had killed enough goats and bulls to go 14 miles, you might have stripped off and started dancing too. <coughs> Has nothing to being charismatic, nothing to being Pentecostal. It has everything to do about following the protocols. God inhabits the praises of his people. And the praises of his people require that the people themselves carry the presence of God and don't rely on somebody else to do it. It, it, it requires that we sing and make thanksgiving to God. It requires a sacrifice of blood. And quite frankly, it, it, it requires a little movement. I realize the frozen chosen don't want to, but it requires, a, if you're going to bring God from there to here, you've got to do a little moving with it. I want the presence of God. I want to live in that presence. It's been the driving force of my life. It's the only thing that I believe will bring change into people's lives. When Moses went to the mountain, when he went behind the veil and the glory of God was there, it says his face was changed. If you go read St. Paul in 2 Corinthians, he said when we behold him face to face, we are changed from glory to glory. As your pastor, I have one goal, and that's to lift the veils and let you behold the glory and let God do the work. I find it much easier to let him work on you than me. And I would suggest that it would help you to let him do the work and not you. Just a suggestion. <laughs> and David took the Ark of the Covenant and they brought it up beside the king's palace and they put it under the tarp from Walmart. <laughs> Made in China. No veils. Just out there in the open. Just, no, no members only. I mean, there's no, there's no cover charge. I mean, no narcissism, just, okay, all you Gentiles can come. And they all started leaving. No, 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 wait a minute. There's no veil. There's no covering. So here's what we're going to do. You enter into the presence of God with praise and thanksgiving and he deserves to be praised 365 days a year, Amen. 24 hours a day. So you, 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 and you, and you get the second Tuesday of every month. And you, 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 and you, and you, you get the third Thursday of every month. And they surrounded the altar with what most historians believe to be a thousand people surrounding the ark the presence of God, hands in the air, leaping and jumping, saying, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever for 24 hours. And in the midst of the worship was the presence of God. Talk about draw attention. If we went across the street and took that 20 acres and just and then we all, oh, you, 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 and you. I just want you to go out there and on all day Tuesday, I want you just to praise God. It draws some attention. Right. <laughs> Talk about evangelism. You don't have to go door to door. 
And, and this went on for 33 and one half years. Do you, do you catch, he lived 30, this went on for 33 and one half years. And if you wanted to experience the presence of God, you had to kind of push your way through the, through the worshiping people. And you know, by the time you had crawled through the crowd and there's more people converted into, into Judaism during that 33 and a half years because of worship, not because of a program, not because we elected the right person. Get over it. If we take as much energy in worshiping God as we take enough energy in promoting what we think is right, I have, I, I, think, I, I think I'll go on Facebook and say, I got an idea. You keep your ideas to yourself, you keep your ideas to yourself, and I think what we'll do is we'll just start a feed on Facebook just to say, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever, and we'll just do it for 365 days a year, and when I have to go to bed, you take over, and when you have to go to bed, you take over, and you take over, and let's just get 100 people, and let's just do it 24 hours a day, 365 days a week, and we just need about 100 people sitting on Facebook just praising God. Let's pour our energy into that, and maybe not in this other stuff that we've been dabbling with. And I don't need them to be here because it's not about the tent that's built. It's about the people and the relationship in the tent. And why don't we use social media to do that instead of all the other? I didn't say it. Am I making any sense yet? I'm going to rebuild that, he said. I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail because church is not about a denomination or a politic. Church is about the worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who was and is and is to come. The God that comes to save and heal. The God who says, I don't need your bulls anymore. The God that says, now then I will get on a cross and I'll shed my blood. And I don't need you to do the bleeding. I'll do the bleeding, but you do the singing. I'll do the bleeding, but you do the thanking. I'll do the bleeding, but you do the dancing. I'll make the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices, but you praise me for it. And I'll meet you there. I'll greet you there. I'll manifest myself there. Hmm. Churches have veils now. They have doctrines. They have their interpretation. They have their... Now, I will have spent 50 years of my life, I hope, maybe 60 even, ripping up veils. Going, I don't care about your doctrine. I don't care about your pet peeve. I don't care whether you get baptized if I spit on you or whether I drowned you. I don't really care. I don't think it has anything to do with the amount of water. I just think it has to do with whether or not you got it. Right? I, I do that because it helps me remember he bled. I've had people leave my life because they thought I was being Catholic. No, I'm remembering that he bled. Thank God I don't have to kill a bull up here this morning. <laughs> Am I making any sense? 
See, some of you have left God down here because it didn't go so good the first or second time you tried. It didn't go so well. What I'm trying to say to you is we just got to do it his way. And you need to go get him out of Obed-Edom, whatever closet you stuck him in. You need to go get him out. And, and you need to put him up here on your shoulders. You need to start singing. Maybe even, oh my God, dance a little. I mean, she's lovely up here dancing, but what would be real lovely is if you would. And, and just see if the glory of God would come like it did in Second Chronicles chapter 5. Wonder what would happen if the God that found us in the pasture, we would bring him into the palace of our own lives and let him have full control. You see, he does, listen, he doesn't want visitation rights. He wants full custody. He doesn't just want 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. When we were a little younger, trying to build this building, trying to do a number of things, and I would get under it. I would go home and I'd push the couch. My children always knew what was up. I'd push the couch out of the way, push the chairs out, say, okay, we're gonna dance. I can't sing, but I can turn it up loud. And my kids would be doing somersaults and cartwheels over the furniture and we would dance until we could dance no more. I'd dance till I cried and I knew his presence was in my little house. I'm telling you, this is the only way. This is the way. Come into his courts with thanksgiving and his praise. Make a joyful shout unto the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise God. Let his praise continually, always be in my mouth. This is the only way. It is the one way. And it's not going to change just because we get intelligent in 2022. It's the same. He inhabits the praises. The sacrifices of praises. To praise when you don't feel like praising. To dance when you can't figure out why you're dancing. You, you don't want to be Michael. You know, she... Who do you think you are? <laughs> no, no. See, he, you can't try to hold on to your dignity and have the deity of God at the same time. You'll have to lose your dignity in order to live in his divinity. If you really want his presence, I really believe this. I was raised in a spirit-filled arena. And uh, I actually think we tried to get classy the latter part of the 20th century. And so we, well, we, we believe in that, but do it at home. So we tried to clean it up, make it more palatable, calm it down. And we didn't shake as little. But I've long since believed that when blind Bartimaeus heard a rumor that Jesus had come close, he was blind and the Lord was walking through Jericho and he didn't really know it, but he had heard a rumor that Christ had been close. 
See, he would have passed them by had they not called him from the boat. And Jesus had gotten close. And somebody said, Bartimaeus, uh, that guy from Nazareth, he was, he said, what? And blind Bartimaeus broke the silence of the religious dignity of the people. Jesus. Son of David, the one that was after your heart. Have I made any connections yet? Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Can I tell every one of you this morning, Jesus responds to the hunger and to the cry, to the passion, to the need of somebody who's willing to break the status quo. Someone who's willing to go against what's acceptable. Someone who's really ready to raise their voice and say, Jesus, I need you and I need you now. And I know you're good. And I know you're merciful. It's so interesting to me how babies who are nursing don't care if I'm preaching. They just don't care. They'll start crying right as I'm making my best point. Church, we need to start crying out for his presence. We just, we, we just need to recover what it means to stop letting somebody else carry his presence but to carry his presence ourselves, to remember his blood, and to sing loud, to sing long. Because I promise you, he will show up and shake too hard, shout too loud, and stay way too long. But when you walk out, you'll be healed. When you walk out, you'll be stronger. When you come back, it'll get better. This is my summer message. I'm going to preach this all summer. So if you didn't get it, come back. If I didn't offend you, come back. I'll try again next week. Uh, and, and quite frankly, I learned this a long time ago. As soon as you, the sooner you get rid of religious spirits, the faster revival comes. So... <laughs> What? Never mind. God is present. When we read his word, when we sing, when we remember it was his blood, when a little girl dances, God's present. Be present to him. Be present to him. He's present, I believe. Go ahead, Kelly, I'm fine. He's present to him. He's also present wherever people are hurting. When you walk out of here this morning, can I promise you he is present in the poor, in the abused, in the starving, in the outcast. You want to find it. If you can't find his presence in worship, go where people are hurting. It's probably why I went to the missions fields because I could go to the mission field and there he was. They were hurting. If you want to feel the presence of God, come with me on a visit to a hospital with a terminally ill patient. He is there. 
Go with David to hospice. He is there. Third place he's at. We, we've had four children. She left. She got tired of listening to me. Uh, we had four children, and, and every time we had a child, the first one, we had this bassinet. Anybody seen a bassinet? This is a beautiful bassinet, and Annie was in it when she was a baby, and now we're having a baby, and we had this bassinet. My grandmother's crocheted and knitted all these beautiful things. Beautiful, right there beside the bed, and then we bought this Jenny Lynn baby bed. I'll give it to you. It's 42 years old. I'll give it to somebody. It's, haven't you ever prepared a place for that baby? And it was comfortable, it was safe, and it was beautiful. And they didn't stay in it. Guess where they wanted to be? In your bed. Guess where they specifically wanted to be? Right in the middle. Right there. With one foot in his back. And with an elbow in her back, right there. Safest place in the world is between two people that love each other. You're going to find the presence of God. He's right in the middle of two people that love each other. If you love one another, there. There. It's the most sacred, favorite, special place in the world is between two people that love each other. And isn't it crazy how a kid can reveal something in the parents that they didn't even know that existed? That the birth of a child can reveal the love of? Listen, God inhabits His praise. I believe He's here right now. He inhabits where people are hurting and he lives between the friendships right there. I'm motivated to love you in spite of whatever you and I may think about whatever we might think about. Because I know if I love you, he's there. I'm motivated to go help people because I know he's there. I'm motivated to worship Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show, and it'll just drop right into your feed, and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you, and you can become one of our givers, and that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless, and I'll see you next time.